Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to another edition of Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes football and recruiting podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. David Lake joined, as always, by Gabby Rutia, and it is the Pit Preview Podcast. So we're going to get into how Miami matches up with Pitt in another big game as Manny Diaz is coaching for his job. Uh, he cleared the first hurdle with a 31-30 win over NC State in which there was plenty of, of positive signs, if we're being honest. And uh, there is another tough task ahead with a Pittsburgh team that also ranked, um, you know, after playing a ranked team in NC State. Uh, this game's on the road, however, and there are definitely some interesting things to get into with this Pitt-Miami matchup. But first, Gabby, I think we got to start the podcast off by addressing something I wrote on the website. Um, it's entitled VIP Notes on UM's Decision Makers and the Football Program. Uh, basically, it's, it's just a background type information on kind of the dynamic of the decision makers and where things stand with the football program, uh, you know right now and potentially moving forward um, if changes are made. Uh, so there's a lot of good information there. I don't think, you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and like read the report. So if, if people want to go read it, I would recommend it. Uh, check it out inside the u.com. You have to be a VIP member, um, but I do think we can still talk about it. Right, Gabby? Um, yeah. And you and I, honestly, we haven't spoken about what I wrote. So this is kind of going to be our conversation. I asked you to just uh, think of some questions that you wanted to ask me, um, you know, after reading it. And so I think that'll be the format here to start this podcast. And just so people know on the front end, right, in the in this in this note style report that I posted on the message board, I touched on things like Julio Frank, Blake James, um, Rudy Fernandez, who is kind of now Julio Frank's right-hand man in terms of gaining an understanding on the athletic department or overseeing the athletic department. Um, also too, just the, the Blake James dynamic with Mario Cristobal. And, uh, you know, whether or not Miami has the money, et cetera, et cetera. So where do you want to start, Gabby? Fire away. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I guess just some background on the question. I mean, definitely some notes in there about Julio Frank and, and really his status with UM prior to 
um, prior to COVID and prior to the nationwide shutdown based on some dropping test score numbers at the university. That seemed unacceptable uh, by some people involved there. And then obviously the Blake James Manny Diaz fiasco that I'm sure a lot of fans are, are well aware of. So, I mean, just in your opinion, like what do you, what, what do you think is probably the most likely scenario to happen out of these three? And that would be either Manny being gone, Blake James being gone, Julio Frank being gone, or all three of them potentially just, just a, a complete cleaning of the house or a couple of the three, like what's your sense on like, you know, maybe who's on the hottest seat right now based on, you know, some of the information you put out there. Yeah. It's interesting because there's still, I mean, it's hard to really project because um, there's a lot of moving parts. And I do think like if I'm going to, I guess I would characterize it as, you know, Manny Diaz is probably on the hottest seat. Um, but I, you know, I do think Manny Diaz has a chance to maybe last another year if he wins out this season. Right. Yeah. And I think that chance might even be there if they go seven and five. Um, so, you know, let's say they lose to Pitt, who's a ranked team that's a good team, and then run the table thereafter. I think there will be plenty who think. Manny deserves another year. Um, I'm not reporting that that's going to happen. I, I don't think anyone really knows, honestly, what's going to happen because, uh, again, Blake James is his, his seat is not as warm as Manny Diaz's, um, but it, it is getting hotter by the day. He's losing support uh, internally by the day. Uh, but I do think it's worth pointing out Blake James also. Uh, has friends that still respect the job he does, friends inside the program uh, and on the board of trustees even. Um, but he's also burning bridges inside the football offices. So he's kind of trying to do this tightrope um, walking, you know, self-preservation of his job, um, which is a tough thing to do. I don't know if necessarily Manny and Blake are tied. I think they should be, um, but I, I don't know if that's the case. Um, and then Julio Frank, you know, I think he is by far the safest of the three in terms of like anything happening right now. Um, you know, I did write in the notes that uh, he was not going to be renewed as Miami's president, but then the COVID-19 pandemic hit and uh, Dr. Frank, of course, is an expert in public health. So then the board of trustees felt like, you know, they kind of had to extend him because he could help them navigate through a pandemic that, you know, he is uniquely qualified to know how to navigate, right? So, uh, but I don't, you know, none of that, the Julio Frank stuff, uh, him being on thin ice, honestly has very, very little to do with football. It has right. to do with kind of um, the perception of this school dropping, not dropping a lot, but dropping a little bit um, in terms of perception of, of the academics. There are a lot of people that are upset with the law school and how much that has fallen off in terms of the bar passage rate. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think he has a lot of fans at the board of trustee level. Um, and I do think it's fair to point out that U Health 
is a big time moneymaker. And it's my understanding. And look, I'm not like, I'm not trying to go into the rabbit hole of weird COVID talk, but it's my understanding that um, the last, what, year, year and a half during this COVID time, uh, the money that you health has brought in has uh, been impressive, right? So you health has been a big time money maker for the university. Um, but to answer your question, I mean, I think, I think that Manny Diaz is on the hottest seat, but that's also just the easiest move, right? Because right. it will, yeah. it's based on on-field results, right? Um, Blake James, again, losing support by the day, but I do think there's a possibility he survives. And Julio Frank, I think he's fine in terms of like job security, et cetera. Yeah. And, and like to me, so I, I just touching on another point where you said like within the coaching community, Blake James is sort of losing support. This isn't only happening. Like, again, you're saying like inside the football facilities and stuff like that, like this, like the move that he sort of pulled of sort of going through the back door and sort of doing this little media tour and all that stuff. It sort of rubbed people around again, the coaching community the wrong way too. So like, right. to me, it's just like if Blake James is sticking around and let's say he's not able to, and let's say they move on from any ideas in this hypothetical situation. What's like, like, are, like, is it even possible that a, a crystal ball comes and wants to work for Blake James? Like, I know no. you touched on that a little bit. Like, so what, what would be the move there? Like, who, like you're like, what coach is going to want to come work for, for a guy like Blake James, if he's the one that sort of survives this. And again, detaches himself from Manny Diaz and sort of like, they're sort of just like, okay, we're just going to move on, try to find someone else. Like what's even the move there. Cause it doesn't like, based on this, it doesn't feel like it would be crystal ball at that point. You're saying if, if they move on from Manny and keep Blake James. Right. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I think, you know, my understanding is, and I knew this before talking to people, honestly, but, uh, Mario Cristobal does not like Blake James and Blake James does not like Mario Cristobal. Um, they are not fans of each other. Um, and you know, I think, I think that, that we got a little window into that, uh, in the last coaching search when, you know, if we're going, uh, based off the move that makes the most sense when Mark Rick retired, um, going out and getting Mario Cristobal made more sense than hiring Manny Diaz within 12 hours, right? Um, and it's my understanding that Mario was intrigued. Mario was interested back then. Um, but Blake doesn't want to work with Mario. Um, so, yeah, I do think... And also, too, you mentioned just the stunt of, uh, you know... I mean, some in the coaching community think, uh, view what, what Blake James did is backstabbing Manny Diaz, right? Yeah. I mean, you can debate whether that's happening or not, but I'm just, I'm just letting people know how coaches perceive it. Yeah. And the perceptions, perceptions, everything in a lot of times. Coaching community is small and it's tight and they all talk to each other. Blake James in the coaching community is also viewed as, and again, I'm not saying this is right or wrong. I'm just saying this is how he's viewed. He's viewed as an athletic director that doesn't fulfill his contract in terms of paying money that is owed when uh, Miami decides to move on from a coach. You know, this, of course, has been reported on with Al Golden. Um, 
and, and I do know there are some assistants um, that didn't get paid what they were owed um, from Miami uh, after they were let go. Um, you know, the philosophy there from what I told, what I'm told is, okay, you want your money, then sue us. And then basically what happens there is you get tied up in legal fees could be a hundred thousand dollars. Right. And, and it's a headache and it, you know, also too, you don't want to be seen in the coaching community or, or at the athletic director level with other schools as being a coach that's going to sue, uh, schools for their money that's owed right. to them, yeah. et cetera. So Blake James, bottom line, Blake James is not necessarily like an attractive boss, right? So I think we all know at this point that Miami needs, if they do decide to go on to, to move away from the Manny Diaz era, if they do make a move there, Miami needs a guy that has experience at the power five level, leading a power five program as a head coach, uh, with some modicum of success, right? This is not a learn on the job job. Mm. Um, and to me, that means even a group of five head coach making the jump up to the power five level, taking this Miami job. So um, the question becomes, can Manny Diaz, sorry, can Blake James attract that type of coach? I think there is major doubts that he can um, because people are wary of him. Um, and specifically Mario Cristobal, you know, maybe this is, uh, you know, hyperbolic, but I've been told like, there's just zero chance that Mario will want to come work with or for Blake James. Um, and I don't think that would come as a surprise to Blake James. So, um, yeah, I think that's another issue that if Miami does decide to move on from Manny Diaz and, wants Blake James to run this coaching search, which I also think, I mean, he's proven, you know, the last, if we're just being honest, just being real, the last two coaches he's hired haven't made it to year four. Yeah, That's a problem. It's due to various reasons and you can make excuses if you want, but when you hire back-to-back -back coaches that don't make it to year four, it's, it, it sets your program back. And, uh, you know, Blake James has proven that maybe he's not good at picking long-term solutions for the football program. Um, so I don't think he necessarily even deserves the opportunity uh, to make the next hire. It would be my opinion that he should be tied to Manny Diaz. And, you know, I think if, if and when Miami does move away from Manny Diaz, I think Blake J it needs to be announced at the same time that they are doing the same with Blake James for the good of the program. Uh, no matter, no matter if they want to, to make a run at Mario or not, I think they have to do that. Yeah. And just like sort of, I, I mean, it seems like there's like backing for Mario Cristobal. You mentioned Jose Moss, you mentioned Mike Fernandez, guys like that, that are basically, you know, willing to like, or just, you know, just guys that are, that sort of want well, crystal ball in, in the building. Right. Right, not Mike Fernandez. Mike okay, Fernandez, not Mike Fernandez. honestly, Manny is, Senior. Yeah, he's he's okay. a uh, ally of Manny Senior. Okay. Um, but yes, uh, Jose Moss went to Columbus High School with Mario Cristobal, Marcus Lamonis, 
Marcus Columbus Simonis. That was the other. That was the other one that I was thinking. That of. is, uh, you know, a big fan of Mario as well. Camping World, definitely. You know, they sponsor some radio segments for the UM broadcasts, and uh, you know, Marcus Limonis would love to see Miami be good again too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, there. Again, this is all split too. It's not like everyone on the board of trustees is all in on Mario. There are some people that still think Manny Diaz can get things fixed. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, it's a big mess. And to me, the big problem, uh, who's, who's going to step up and lead? Who's going to step up and do the right thing? Because um, all we've seen recently is Miami doing the easiest thing, um, which is just constantly making coaching changes and bringing in people that aren't qualified to lead this level of a program. And at the end of the day, it swallows them up. Uh, So yeah, who's going to make the tough decision because everyone's in self-preservation mode. Um, Yeah. Of course, Manny Diaz, like Manny Diaz, I get it. Like he's scratching and clawing for his job. So he's, uh, he's putting the messaging out there that these young players are great. He brought them in. He deserves to coach them moving forward, et cetera. Uh, Blake James, again, is doing the thing, um, talking to handpicked media to put the messaging out there that he's leading this, he's on top of it, um, he, he, you know, he's addressing things head on, which everyone around him knows is just a total sham. Um, but he's still, again, scratching and clawing for his job. The board of trustees is is very political. You know, there are some people. I'm not I'm not going to sit here and say like Manny Diaz Senior is exerting any type of pressure on things, right? But there are people on the board of trustees that are aware of this connection that you know Manny Diaz Senior has with Manny Diaz Junior. Um, and Manny Diaz Senior certainly has plenty of political pull and ties locally. Um, and so people on the, there are some people on the board of trustees that are wary of just, you know, moving on from Manny yeah. Diaz Jr. Um, Do you get the sense that just like, just because there, it seems like there's just sort of like a split with what people may want between like, you know, the Mosses, Limones, and then maybe some other people on the board of trustees that really, I know you say Miami generally like, has typically taken the easy way out. Would the easiest way out really for them, does it feel like just keeping Manny Diaz and him winning out would just be like everyone sort of like, you know, Absolutely. sort of breathing, breathing a little easier. No one has to make that sort of tough decision and everyone can just sort of push this off again, essentially for another eight or nine months until the season rolls around again and we sort of see what happens. Winning out would certainly be the easiest thing, right? I, I think the second easiest thing is, let's say, hypothetically, Pittsburgh blows out Miami, right? Yeah. I think the second easiest thing to do would be, after that, you get rid of Manny Diaz. The question I have is, do you also get rid of Blake James at the same yeah. time? Because I do think there's people on the board of trustees that wonder, okay, let's say we do move on from Manny Diaz. And then we also move on from Blake James at the same time. Who's going to run our coaching search? Uh, who's going to be the, the point man there? Which I think is a fair point, but I think they yeah. also need to think big picture wise. 
long-term wise in terms of if, again, if Blake James is running your coaching search, who is he going to be able to go out and get? Who's he going exactly. to be able to go out and attract? And at the end of the day, you know, I, I think he's going to either go out and get like a retread type, like a Gus Malzahn, right? Um, or a group of five, quote unquote, up and comer, or a hot coordinator, right? He's not going to go out and address and, and land what Miami really needs. Um, so, yeah. And, and Julio Frank, you know, he, he's not, he's not going to provide any type of hard leadership that's needed yeah. um, during these times. Um, and don't be fooled. Like he's not, he is not plugged into football. He doesn't really care about football. He only cares because Kirk Herbstreet called him out on ESPN. So now all of a sudden he cares. So yeah. why would uh, they just say it? like, why, like, like I get why you don't just say it, but like, why do you even like fake it? Like everyone sort of knows already. Like it's just sort of seems just like blowing smoke. Like why are they so afraid to say, Hey, the president just doesn't care about football. Like this no, is because he was, he was very unhappy about being called out. Um, probably his like his name being used on national television yes and so you know this got back to Manny and Blake so then they then have to go out of their way to make it known awkwardly I will add right that <laughs> Julio Frank really cares about football blah 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 so um, bottom line is I'm just more confused than ever and it's a big mess my hope is that somebody steps up and leads and makes a right decision that is best for the program. Um, if, if decisions do have to be made, but again, like, like you said, Manny Diaz could certainly win out. And if he does, I mean, he's gonna, he's gonna return in 2022. Um, I do think that will be interesting if that happens, his dynamic with Blake James, right. Um, Cause there's definitely, some things they would have to work out uh, to continue working together. So anything else? I mean, I guess my last thing, just like after those conversations that you had, like, does that change? Like, does your viewpoint of this change? Like, did, did you like, did your thoughts change on anything like regarding this program or did they sort of just solidify what you sort of already sort of knew was either bound to happen or could potentially happen or just the state of the program in general? Yeah, I just think I'm more confused, honestly. Like I said, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. Like again, like is Manny Diaz, you know, on the hot seat? Of course. Um, could he, could a move be made there after any any loss moving forward? Sure, but at the end of the day, to me, that's like small potatoes type of moves. That's like a distraction move. Um, yeah. Just making that move, right? Exactly. There's bigger issues at play, more important issues at play that Miami needs to address as an athletic department. And uh, I think there's a chance they do, but I'm not necessarily sold that they do. Um, because again, it would, it would take real leadership to make that move. And there is concern about who's going to step up and run the coaching search if we don't have Blake doing it. Right. So uh, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll close it, close it off here with just like anybody else who might know some things, want to provide more background on, on the situation, no matter what side of things you are on, 
my DMs are always open at David Lake three on Twitter. You can also send me a private message through the website at insidetheu.com. Of course, you know, I protect all identities, et cetera. Just want to provide information that you feel like might need to be known. Um, if you feel like it's best for the program moving forward. Um, so let's talk, but yeah, let's, uh, let's take a break here, Gabby. And, uh, we will jump into some Pittsburgh talk. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing. However you cha-ching Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast hey i'm brett podolsky co-founder of the farmer's dog we make fresh food for dogs we started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog jada when she stopped eating ultra processed kibble and started eating fresh whole food the farmer's dog food isn't fancy it's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs it's better for them and easier for you get 50 percent off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast that's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast all right, we are back. Gabby, it's pit week. Miami's looking to uh, get a little winning streak going, right? Um, right? Let's start here, though, just injury stuff. Um, Pittsburgh wide receiver, their best wide receiver and their best running back are both considered game-time decisions because of concussion protocol. Uh, Jordan Addison, the excellent slot receiver for Pitt, um, and Israel Abana Kanda are both, again, game-time decisions, best players at their positions for Pitt. So it certainly matters whatever their status is. Um, and then, of course, for Miami, Bubba Bolden out for the season for Miami. So uh, Pittsburgh enters this game ranked, what, number 17, I believe? Yeah. Um, they are 6-1. and one. They are coming off a... 27-17 win over Clemson. Uh, so they definitely, they got things rolling right now. Um, let's just start here. I guess what what worries you most about this Pittsburgh team? Yeah, man. I mean, I think it starts with Kenny Pickett. You know, what he's been able to do with this with this offense has been, it, it's, it's been really something, you know. Uh, I feel like this isn't the Kenny Pickett that we know of, you know, throughout you know, the last few years, like this is a guy that's playing extremely confident football. 
has a 23 or 25 to one touchdown to interception ratio. Um, you know, he's thrown for a ton of yards. He's playing just some incredible football. I mean, he's throwing the deep ball. He's just really got this offense sort of rolling. Um, so I think it starts and, and sort of ends with him. And again, if Jordan Addison's healthy, I mean, just, just really the potential for this offense to score is um, it's not typical of Pitt. Uh, it's definitely, uh, it's gotta be a pleasant, it's gotta be pretty pleasant for them and uh, Pat Narduzzi, but uh, you know, that offense and what they can do sort of speaks for itself and, you know, what they've been able to do this year, you know, beating Clemson, uh, going into Knoxville and beating Tennessee, uh, you know, an SEC program like that, uh, you know, just to sort and sort of the way that they've been winning since uh, outside of that Western Michigan losses has been really impressive. I mean, this is a new look pit and it starts in it and, and sort of ends with that quarterback. Yeah, I agree. I think 45 points per game is what Pitt is averaging this year. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's interesting. Pro football focus grades Pittsburgh as having the best passing offense in the entire country right now. So Kenny Pickett, definitely a Heisman contender, you know, here in late October for whatever that's worth, uh, playing like one of the best quarterbacks in the country right now. Uh, you're right. And, and, you know, a lot of credit goes to Mark Whipple, offensive coordinator that formerly was at Miami. He's an aggressive guy. He's good at game planning for quarterbacks. And I think we are seeing that with the style of play from Pitt this year and the progression of Kenny Pickett. I think it's, it's worth noting too, you know, that this Pitt defense still good. Um, they're down defenses six in the country entering this game, allowing opponents to convert only 28.6%. So Last week, Miami faced the number one third down defense in the country in NC State. Relative, you know, I think they did well against that defense relative yeah. to how good they are, right? So right. I, I think NC State was at 25% going into that game. I think Miami converted around 36-ish percent. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not going to look pretty on third down for Miami, but if they can still be in that 36 to 40% range against this pit defense on third down. That's going to be a good showing. Uh, I think it's also worth, worth noting too, Kalijah Kansi, um, out of Miami Northwestern, a small, quick, twitchy defensive tackle, six foot two seventy five, who, uh, makes plays with his speed and quickness balance too. Um, he's, He's a big time pass rusher from the interior. So that's something that, you know, Tyler Van Dyke's going to have to contend with. Um, last year, Miami did a good job of neutralizing Cansey, holding him to zero pressures. So let's go to our next. And by the way, I want to say my neighbor is having landscaping done. So I don't know if you hear buzzing, but my apologies if <laughs> it is making it through the mic. Um, let's go on to guy that needs to step up for Miami um, this week? I mean, I'm probably looking at, I mean, I think either James Williams or Cam Kitchens, uh, you know, two freshman safeties probably going to get the start again with just the way that they're sort of spinning the ball around. Uh, you know, I think though, I think I, I wouldn't be surprised if Mark Whipple sort of game plans to sort of test them. And that's not to say that they're not capable. I think that they've shown that they can sort of play at this level. Um, but still, I mean, these are at the end of the day, these, these are two true freshmen playing on the road in, in, in really a, a big time role against a big time offense. So, 
Um, I'm going to be looking probably at Cam Cameron Kitchens just to sort of see how he maneuvers that. Uh, you know, you watch. I was watching uh, Pittsburgh play. I can't remember if it was Virginia. I think it was Virginia Tech. I mean, maybe it was Clemson where they sort of drew up a play where the safety sort of lost uh, to Sear Mac. And, uh, you know, he was open basically for a wide open touchdown right. uh, and sort of like this like jumbo set type thing where they just sort of stacked uh, one side of the field. And so I think you got to have a lot of eye discipline. You got to sort of know your yep. roles, know your keys. And uh, so I think Cameron Kitchens is someone that, uh, you know, is really going to have to sort of step up and, you know, play a, a B plus game at the very least, you know, just someone that he's if Cameron Kitchens has a clean game, I'll feel much better, um, you know, about that situation moving forward and just about Miami's chances in this game. Great minds think alike. That's who I was going with too. And I think to add to your point, I, I do think, you know, Cam can handle it. Like he, he is a very instinctual and intelligent football player, you know, for how young he is. Um, I know people inside the building think he could end up being a future coach if he wanted to go down that path. Um, but to your point, you know, uh, he's probably going to see some things he hasn't seen before in a live situation that Mark Whipple draws up to attack him. And it'll be interesting to see how he reacts to those situations, but yeah, he's got to be big time. I think he can be big time. Um, you know, if, if, uh, if Pittsburgh, is able to generate some explosive plays downfield, which Kenny Pickett's been excellent at this year, as, as we chronicled in the last podcast. Uh, definitely not going to be a good sign for Miami. Potential player of the game, who you got? Yeah, I think for the I think I'm for the first time I'm going to take the low hanging fruit. I think it's got I think it's going to have to be Tyler Van Dyke. Um, yeah. You know him sort of playing the way that he played in that in that um, in that NC State game. Um, he needs to have a similar performance. I mean, this is this defense is again not. I don't think maybe as good as NC State, but I feel like they're similar, um, similar enough where they're going to be problematic. Um, you know, and I think Tyler Van Dyke needs to find a way to sort of carry that confidence that he sort of was sort of maybe forced to take in after maybe some of those comments that sort of fueled up NC State and sort of in turn fueled up Miami. I think you need to find need to find a way to sort of care like you know continue with that like that sort of chip on your shoulder going into this road environment uh, again probably not going to be a super hectic place you know i feel like heinz field doesn't really get super rowdy for pit football games but uh you know it's going to be cold which again i know it's an environment he's sort of familiar with just being from the northeast and uh you know he's just got to play a complete football game you know i think he needs to have one of those games i think if, if he does i mean if if tyler van dyke plays the way he played against nc state I think they have a good shot against a lot of teams, especially in this Absolutely. conference. So, um, you know, I'm looking at Tyler Van Dyke to sort of, you know, have that game if uh, if Miami's going to win. I'm curious, you know, you, you mentioned the comparison between Pitt's defense and NC State. And obviously the schemes are different, et cetera. Yeah. But if we're talking like strengths and weaknesses, in my opinion, like Pitt's defense is better than NC State with their pass rush. I think they're much better. Honestly, would you agree with that? Like they yeah. just have more explosive twitchy pass rushers. Right. Um, the back end, I think is up for debate linebacker level. I would give the edge to NC state, NC state but yeah. I don't think, I don't think Pitt's guys are bad necessarily, but the one thing that I think Tyler will have to contend with this week compared to last week is that pass rush. Yeah. Uh, 
They have good edge rushers. They have good interior pass rushers. So uh, we will see how he does with that. Similar line of thinking with me on the, on the potential player of the game. Charleston Rambo, you know, um, every year when you face Pitt, I feel like I rinse and repeat the same points of you got to you gotta hit on explosive plays down yeah. the field, outside the numbers, um, because Pitt will stack the box and force you to make those throws. Um, Miami didn't necessarily have to make those throws in last year's game because Rhett Lashley did such a good job of game planning and drawing up uh, the Derek King, you know, one man play action looks where he, he, you know, at a shotgun, he looked like he was going to go for a quarterback draw, suck the defense in and he hit um, Cam Harris and Will Mallory behind the linebacker level as they were sucking up for, for explosive plays. So, you know, with Tyler, I don't think those looks are necessarily going to be there this year. Um, but I do think T- Tyler can potentially throw the ball downfield outside the numbers to a receiver that yeah. can make those plays this year compared yeah. to last year. So, and he's going to, he's going to take the shots too. Like we saw that he's going right. to take the shots. So that's exciting. Right. So they need Charleston to win some of those one-on-one looks and uh, it does seem like Tyler and Charleston are, are building a nice connection, which is, yeah. which is good to see. Of course, Yeah, definitely key to the game. What do you got? Key to the game. I would probably say just, I mean, probably just rattle Kenny Pickett as much as possible. I feel like when Clemson was sort of giving him a fit, it was just because they were getting to the quarterback a lot, um, you know, just sort of getting into the backfield, just making things really complicated. Um, you know, I think that you got to try to just make things uncomfortable again for a quarterback that's sort of throwing it the way that he is. I mean, you sort of look back at the Brendan Armstrong situation where like he was right. he, at that time, they had the the nation's leading passing attack. And again, like, you know, just sort of making things maybe a little bit just uncomfortable. Um, you know, if Jordan Addison isn't available, I think that that's a huge win for Miami. Um, yes. Not advocating for concussions, obviously, but like, um, you know, like that, that would be huge for Miami. Yeah, it's a huge missing piece. And uh, especially if the running backs out as well, like I think um, Kenny Pickett's going to have to lean on guys that, he, you know, that have made plays in the past. You know, some of these guys have made plays, the, you know, the Jared Wayne, the to Sear Mac, those types of guys, but it's not the same. So I think you got to just sort of swarm Kenny Pickett and force him to sort right. of make throws offset off his point and off that and all, all that type of stuff. You mentioned Clemson. They did a good job of that. Um, I feel like, you know, in the past, even with Miami's pass rush, they've done a good job of that. So let me ask you though, like this pass rush we are seeing this year, how confident are you that they can, that they can impact the game in that way? Cause also too, uh, this is probably the best pass blocking offensive line. Kenny Pickett's played with at Pitt. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I mean, is there a reason to be super confident about it? I don't think so. Um, you know, I do feel good that they can create penetration, that they can, right. can create they pressures. Yeah. Like I think that they can pressure him. I think that they can get into the backfield. Um, are they going to get him on the ground? I, I, I don't know. Um, you know, I feel like Miami sort of generally finds a way to maybe just like, they're not just going to be completely just like maybe shut down at the line of scrimmage. Like, I feel like they have just a lot of athletes and guys like that, that they sort of rotate in that could eventually, um, you know, sort of find their way into the backfield. I don't know how consistent it's going to be, but 
I do think that they can get there enough to where maybe he's forcing a throw or having to make a throw on the run or, you know, just really just making things more complicated for him. And not to say that he can't make those throws because he is that Kenny Pickett's good shown, on the run. Yeah, he yeah. can. Yeah, exactly. That he can make those throws on the run. He threw an absolute dime to Jordan Addison in the end zone in that Clemson game, rolling out to his right side, sort of being chased yep. a little bit. Um, so, you know, it's no guarantee that even like get like just moving the pocket or anything like that even like affects him at that point. But again, this is also maybe hoping being hopeful that Jordan Addison doesn't play um, that, you know, maybe that option isn't there um, or just someone not as talented is sort of running that route that the play is just, a, it's just a much more difficult play to complete, um, you know, but I think that that's how you got to do it. I mean, I would take getting to the quarterback and making him fl- and flushing him out over not doing so. So, right. I mean, you think you got to make things uncomfortable for him and you got to be able to tackle on the outside and, all the, all the good things that we've seen from them in the past, they need to come ready to tackle. Um, they need to go do all those things and then offensively just move the ball, man. Just third downs, we saw how big that was in that NC State game and just sort of continuing to move the sticks, get on a roll early, throw the corner route, Tyler Van Dyke, get going, and, and let's <laughs> sort of go. get this thing going. Yeah, I'll, I'll highlight um, Miami's offensive line because I do think there's some signs in terms of like a key to the game, right? There's some signs that Miami's offensive line is improving, you know, during this ACC run, during ACC play. Um, I thought the pass protection against NC State was excellent. Uh, You know, they graded out, according to Pro Football Focus, as the best pass blocking ACC team of the week last week. Um, It was also the highest pass blocking grade a Miami offensive line had earned against a power five opponent since 2018. Um, And, you know, against like Virginia, I, they graded out pretty well as a run blocking group. Um, So there's signs that, 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 that they're kind of gelling, gaining that continuity, uh, improving. And, you know, I think we see if Tyler has the time, if he has a pocket to work with, uh, he can make some big time throws. So, yeah. um, this I have, defense... I have a, I have a question. Just sorry, I just want to yeah. touch on something really quick with the offensive line. And I don't know if this makes sense, but this just sort of came to my head. Do you think that they're the fact that they know Tyler Van Dyke is more of just like a drop back passer that they are more like understanding of the pass block sets? Maybe just because with De'Ara King, there was also there was always that threat that he was maybe going to run. So sure. like, do you think that they like they were always just like we're pass blocking, but we know we're also sort of like protecting the run because we know that he can sort of take off. Do you think like now that the offense is more settled with a guy that they know is going to be a passer that they've just sort of settled in a little bit more? Again, that's just like I don't I don't know because it feels like it's happened pretty quickly, right? I think Where it's there, just like there might be something to that. I do think though, you know, they've settled in on their personnel. So when Derek was starting, they were going with, you know, they started the year with DJ Scaife at right tackle. Yeah. Then, then they went to Justice Oluwashon. Uh, you know, they finally made the, the right move and put Jared Williams at right tackle. So I think that has settled things a lot there on, on that side. And then also, too, DJ Scaife has improved at guard um, compared to last year, right? Last year, he was not good. This year, you know, small sample size here in recent games, but he has been pretty good at guard. Um, Ja'Kai Clark, I think, is settling in at center. So, yeah, I, I do think there's something to what you're saying. I do think, too, that they're, they're, 
maybe doing less RPO stuff um, than when Dierick was was the quarterback, which simplifies things for an offensive line. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's a bunch of different things all put together. If that makes sense, yeah, yeah, yeah it does. This Pittsburgh defensive line, though, I mean, it's going to be the best defensive line in terms of a pass rush that Tyler Van Dyke has had to, to deal with as a starter. So um, it'll be interesting to see how the offensive line protects him, gives him time to operate, and uh, how Tyler does operate under pressure. Because, again, since he State, he did play well when he was under pressure. And that was a big reason why he took a, a big step forward uh, from those Virginia and North Carolina starts. So let's go to some over-unders that I just made up. Uh, Over-under, Gabby, Tyler Van Dyke, 300 yards passing. I mean, I think it's TVD season, man. I'm going to go over. Wow. Love it. <laughs> uh, I'll take the under. Yeah. That's, over. Probably, that's probably more reasonable. I'm just I'm liking the overs lately. I don't know. I'm hitting on the team overs. I'm just liking the overs right now. Let's go over army. Um, over under one and a half downfield completions for Rambo. And this means like at least 20 yards through the air past the line of scrimmage. I'll go over. I like I what think, I've been seeing from him. I think there's a chance. I'll take yeah. the over two with you there. Um the hope would be too those turn into touchdowns, right? From a Miami perspective. Yeah. Um, Pittsburgh scoring over or under 35 points against this Miami defense. Yeah, I'll go under. I mean, the last wow. two ACC, the last two ACC games, 28 and 27. Uh, I mean, against Virginia Tech and Clemson, this is a tough little stretch for for Virginia Tech. Man, they had at Georgia Tech, at Virginia Tech, Clemson at home, Miami, like. That's a tough stretch. I feel like Miami's on the back end of that sort of coming at the right time. Again, if both of these guys are out, uh, I, I think that that's fair. You know, I think that Miami could, uh, and you know, Virginia had that crazy scoring offense too with Brendan Armstrong and they've been putting up a ton of points on everyone too. And, you know, Miami held them to 31, I think it was or 30. And, um, you know, I feel like, you know, I don't know. I'm pretty confident that they can keep it within 30, like them under 35. Clemson. So okay, if I'm gonna nitpick this, right? Virginia right. Tech and Clemson, though, would you would you agree they have better defenses than Miami? Uh, maybe. Yeah, Clemson for sure. I mean, I'm not gonna yeah. like start sitting here and like talking nonsense about about Virginia about Clemson, but Virginia Tech, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, I, I, I they gave up 41 points to Syracuse. You know, right. I, I mean, I, I just. Maybe they lost the 27 to West Virginia, who's uh, who's not a good team. Nah, maybe. I, I don't know. I feel like they're more up and down. Right. I would probably go under. No, sorry. Pittsburgh scoring. Over. Over. Yeah. If you Let me say, let me just add this one on the fly. And this will just give away our score predictions, I guess, maybe. Uh, Miami, can they score 30 plus on this Pittsburgh team? Yeah. Because they've, they've locked it down in ACC play. But I think it's fair to point out they haven't like Pittsburgh hasn't necessarily faced great offenses in ACC play yet, right? They held yeah. Georgia Tech to twenty-one, Virginia Tech to seven, Clemson to seventeen. So I think Miami has to at least score in the thirties, um, which they've kind of been doing. 
Um, but, you know, I do think this Pittsburgh defense matches up better than any ACC defense we've seen Miami play against yet. Yeah. I mean, I think they can score. You're saying if my, can Miami score at least 30? Yes. I mean, yeah, man. I mean, I feel like they have the personnel too, I guess, you know, again, if Tyler Van Dyke is playing that, like if I think it's, I mean, it, it all goes through the quarterback, man. If, if the quarterback shows up and plays well, then yeah, man, I feel like they, they, they can score 30. Um, I mean, if he has a little bit of a drop off, which happens with first time starters, um, you know, I, I could see them not scoring. I mean, again, they've had a really tremendous, you know, sort of defensive showings again, last two, seven and 17. But again, I would argue Miami has a better offense than both those teams. I don't think Virginia Tech's offense is very good at all. Um, Clemson's offense. Yeah. I mean, just watching that game, like it was like, right. it was like staggering, um, you know, how poorly they sort of moved the ball. And I know that's what they've been struggling with, but I mean, I would take Miami's offense over Clemson's offense right now. Like I'll, I, I can say that. Agreed. And um, I would take them over Virginia Tech's offense. And, you know, I think they just got dudes. They got playmakers on. I think Charleston Rambo's a big time wide receiver in the conference. So, you know, I think he's someone that can make plays. I think they got the speed. I don't know, man. I, I feel like they can score 30. I might I might go over there. I think I would, too. But I do think it's worth noting Pitt is allowing 15 points per game uh, in ACC play. So yeah. but context does matter with that uh, betting line thoughts. So according to Caesar Sportsbook. Uh, last I looked this morning, Friday morning, Pittsburgh is a nine and a half point favorite and the over under is set at 61. So is there any one of those lines in particular you like more than the other? I mean, I kind of like Miami, Miami plus nine and a half. I also kind of like the over uh, the last two overs have hit for Miami. So I'm sort of feeling that. Um but I think Miami keeps this within 10. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm not sure that they're going to just I agree. Like, I'm not sure they're going to lose by double digits in this one. Again, especially if Addison and um, the running back aren't, aren't able to go. Sounds like you're counting on them not going. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, it seems like game time decisions. I feel like, I don't know. Yeah. Did they practice this week? Like, I haven't really looked at. Pittsburgh's. They won't talk. They don't talk about injuries. Oh, okay. Um, Basically, Narduzzi said, if Addison hasn't practiced, he's going to be fine to play no matter what. Um, he did say they're running back. You know, he's not sure if, if he is that same caliber type of player that can go without practicing and then play in the game. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I agree with you, though, on both those betting line points. I would probably take Miami in the points. No, sorry. Did I say that right? I would take Miami plus nine and a half. Yeah. And uh, over under, I think I'd go over to 61. I could see both these teams scoring in the 30s at least, uh, which brings us to our predictions. Take it away. Yeah. Um, man, I, I really don't know how this one's going to go. Um, I mean, I could really see this going either way. You predicted... Let's uh let's take a victory lap. Yeah. You predicted NC, you know, Miami beating NC State. I did. I did. And that doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to pick Miami to win this game. Um dang, I was setting you up. Yeah, I know. I'm not I, I don't think I'm going to do it. Um I kind of want to, but I'm just like I'm not I'm not there yet. I just had like a I had like that gut. I don't know. It's like sometimes you just like can't explain it. You just have, have like that gut feeling that something's going to happen. 
Uh, I don't have it this week. Um, that, again, that doesn't mean that it couldn't happen, but I'll probably go like 33, 31 type. Just so I could see it being like a field goal separating. Pittsburgh. Yeah. In, in favor of Pittsburgh. Um, I, I, and I see it being a close game. I could see this being a two, three point game. Um, you know, Miami competing hard uh, for four quarters. I, I just think this is one of those sort of like special years for Pitt where they sort of just all the stars aligned their quarter. They got right. the quarterback playing at a high level. They got sort of the playmaker on the offensive side, enough guys on defense to sort of make the run. And I think they, I think this team could end up winning the ACC championship. Like, uh, you know, Absolutely. I think that this could be one of those teams and, uh, you know, hopefully Miami can get in the way of that. Uh, I think that would be nice. Cause I think my, they can lose to Miami and potentially still have the same season that I'm sort of talking about. Um, Cause the ball's sort of in their court right now, but uh, right. you know, I think it'd be good for Miami to, be very competitive in this game and you know hopefully come out with a win but i think it's going to be close regardless yeah i'll go pittsburgh 38 miami 33 um and you know same, same line of thinking you just highlighted uh i do think you know miami can win this game if obviously tyler van dyke is nc state tyler van dyke right if we get that like if that is going to be tyler van dyke moving forward or something close to that. Um, yeah, I think Miami can win, win out, right? They can beat anyone left on their schedule. So to me, that's the biggest thing to, to look at in this game in terms of just from a big picture sense, right? Does Miami have their quarterback of the future, uh, of the present and of the future? Um, because if, if Tyler starts stacking these performances, um, I think it's going to be hard to not just fully admit that he is the guy yeah. in 2022, right. right? Even though I am a Jake Garcia fan, um, Tyler's getting it done at a high level. So uh, with that, let's wrap it up. Um, again, anyone out there who wants to talk that might know some things, want to pa pass on background information on everything going on with the Miami Athletic Department right now, hit me up at David Lake three on Twitter or PM me via inside the U.com till next time. Take care. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon. When a thought hits you, I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.